there's something beautiful about the emotion we call love. We're on a mission to find out more about how it affects every being. It all starts with perception. What if our perception of the world and its many inhabitants expanded? Every being has a different vantage point. When we truly get to know a soul, we find knowledge. Asking questions with an open mind is how we learn how to relate to one another. When we identify with someone beyond the surface level, we fear less and love more. We're all teachers. Every person on this planet has something impactful to share. This podcast is about expanding our vision and illuminating the threads that bind us together as a community. Simply put, this podcast is about lessons in love that we learn along the way in our journeys to find our true selves. Welcome to Unified Threads. What is the meaning of the word agape? Sounds kind of crazy. What is it? We've heard it said before. We know Martin Luther King Jr. used it, but what does it truly mean? Now, this word is rooted in Greek origins, and when it's used as a noun, it means selfless love of one person for another without sexual implication. A lot of times that could be maybe brotherly love or love that is spiritual in nature. Now, when you use it as an adjective, it takes on a whole different meaning. And this means more along the lines of with the mouth wide open, as in wonder, amazement, or awe. Speaking of being in wonder or awe, did you know that there's more people displaced right now than there have been since the Second World War? Have you heard about something that so many people are referring to as the refugee crisis? Literally millions of people are fleeing the Middle East seeking a better life, and many of them have nowhere to go. Welcome to episode 06. I'd like to introduce you guys to someone named Lee, the homeless bard. I saw him writing in the speaker's corner in London, and there's something about his poetry that struck a chord in my heart that I simply couldn't ignore. So whether you agree with what Lee is saying or not, I invite you to listen with open ears and ask yourself the question, what makes my heart feel like it's on fire? So, um, my name is Lee, and I was born in East London. I was adopted by my grandparents as my true mother, as my sister. Um, they told me when I was 16, so I ran away from home because I was redressed, basically. I, I didn't know who I was, and, and I lost all kind of contact with my family uh, and the people that I was. Um, though I, I overcome a lot of things. Um, I was on the streets at the age of 16. I got involved in a lot of bad things. Um, drugs, alcohol, uh, abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, mental abuse um, by others. And then I managed to find my way out from there and, and, and get a room. And very soon I was involved in a relationship and had two children. Um, I, at the age of 26, my parents had died. My mother and father, I always called them my mother and father, even though they were my grandparents, uh, because they looked after me all my life. You know, they, they, they were the people that were my parents. It wasn't 
the other person who thinks she's my parent, she's not. Um, and, you know, I had a reasonably good life. I went travelling around the world. I've been to a lot of countries. I saw a lot of cultures. And that was a saving of my life because I was a very angry person. And with that, the first thing I did one day, I, I was in work and we went back to the pub at the end of the day as we did every day. I was a removal man. And there were three guys um, all around the age I am now, which is 50. And... Uh, they just complained about their life. One complained about the price of life, one complained about his wife, and one complained about the job. And I looked at them and I thought, my God, I'm going to end up like these guys. I'm actually going to end up being this person unless I get out of here. And immediately the next day, I got on a plane. The first plane I could take without a visa um, was to Turkey, Istanbul. And this made me, because I got off the plane, I didn't speak a word of Turkish, I had to negotiate, I had to be diplomatic, I had to think about what I was saying, I had to be thoughtful, and I had to care. And, um, you know, when you, when, you, when you do those things, it changes who you are. It makes you realise the difference between the life you just exist in and the life you can live. Um, for example, you know, I was walking across the middle of Turkey, and I was trying to get a lift, and uh, I met a guy with a donkey, and he said, put your bag on the donkey. And I said, no donkey's piled up with wood anyway he said i said i'm looking for somewhere to, to sleep i gestured to him with my hands next to my head that i'm looking for somewhere and he said come with me so i followed him for several miles and then we went off the road onto a dirt track and i thought where am i going here and we came to a, a like a, a tin hut and he called out and he, a woman and two children came running out anyway um we unloaded the donkey with all this wood and, and we stacked it into a very small shelter and there were a couple of other smaller sort of places around, very small places, and the shack seemed to be the biggest building. But they, these guys, they fed me, and they made food there and then. Uh, they made bread. They baked it on, like, a hot stone that was a fire. Um, so that they did all these things, and they gave it to me. Now, then they said, you sleep here, and we go sleep somewhere else. And I said, OK. And I'm thinking that, you know, this is what life was, and... I was happy, I laid down, I got myself into my rucksack and, and, and what have you, uh, and my sleeping bag, and when I woke up in the morning, I came out of that door, of the, the tin shack, and there on the floor, right there, was the man, his wife, and his two small children, under one blanket, and I woke him up and I said, why? And he said, because you're in my country, and I have to be hospitable to you. So he gave me his food, his only meal that day, he gave it to me with nothing. He didn't ask for any money. I offered him money. He wouldn't take any money. He said, no. He said, you were walking, you needed a meal, and that's it. And he showed me the way back to the road, and off I went. I was amazed at the generosity and the hospitality of the man and his worth. And this really did change me in my life. This made me think a lot about a lot of things. Still, I went on and made mistakes in my life. I had another child at the age of... Um, 30, 39, uh, no, sorry, 38, Colette, who's now 11, lives in Colombia with her mum, and I had a good life, I, 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 after travelling I became a project manager, I worked and I earned a lot of money, and I lived quite a proud life, I, I lived not thinking about what I was doing sometimes, I was generous to people, I was always generous to people with mental problems or homelessness, people who were in despair or trouble, I'd stop and talk to them. You know, I've always been quite compassionate. 
And then about three years ago, I went to the doctor and uh, he told me that I was going to die in less than two months. I had stomach and bowel cancer and it was a mistake. It wasn't true. It was a mistake. Um, I lost my life. I gave up my life. I threw my life away. I gambled to try and save and give to people that were going to be left behind. I had no life insurance. I was terrified for the people, not for myself. I you know, if when you die, you die. There's nothing you can do about that. And, you know, according to the doctor, I was terminal. That was it. Um, but it was a mistake, and that was found out. But for two years, I walked around being angry and upset and really distressing people, breaking other people's lives, lying to them, deceiving them, stealing from them. People I love. You know, people I really, truly love, and I miss, I can't believe the person I was. And I was walking down Shaftesbury Avenue, I saw myself in a mirror, and I looked at myself, and um, I couldn't believe who I was. And I went into a church, and I prayed, and I said to God, why would you want to keep me alive? Why would you have me be this person? Because I know in my heart, this is not me. I know that I'm a better person than this. Why would you let me be a person that I've been for the last two years to break hearts, to, to, you know, to break lives, to, to make people's faith be non-existent in life anymore for the things that I have done? So I said to the Lord, you know, you have to show me something. You have to show me right now. Don't, don't be telling me it's going to be all right in a month or two months or a year or something because that's not going to wash. My next step is under a train. I'm going to kill myself today with or without your help and unless you if you truly want me to live and you want me to carry on and do something then you have to show me and you have to tell me I then said sorry to my mum and dad for, for the way I turned out and for the things I am and I also said sorry to God and then I said the Lord's Prayer when I opened my eyes right there in front of me stood Jesus Christ and I looked at him and he looked at me and he walked across me sat down next to me and then he put his hand on my head and in that one moment, I saw millions of messages, millions of pictures, words I was hearing and things I was seeing, and I couldn't believe what it was. And to recount it all now would take hours. But it was to beware. Man needs to beware. Man needs to change. And if man does not change, God will, will bring his wrath to the earth. And so many people will lose their eternal soul. They will lose. Life will lose. This earth will be reborn. Man will live again, and it will take time. But God, whether he's uh, in a laboratory and we're a science experiment or whatever, I don't know. But the fact is, he made this earth, he made the universe, he made the stars, he made the sun, he made everything that there exists and exists. And we don't have faith, we don't believe, and that's the problem. People walk around believing in money, believing in their life, more than they believe in God. And, you know, don't follow any man. Don't follow a preacher. Don't follow a person with a book. Just follow your heart. Listen to your heart. Listen to what it says because that's where you'll find the answer to everything that you need to know. If you have a problem and if you have confusion, you ask yourself the question and listen to what your heart says, not what your head says because your head will lead you astray. It's like a fox, whereas your heart is put there by God. It's an angel for you to carry with your soul, for your emotions and your gut instinct to trust. If you follow those things, pray to God, do pray to God, or you don't need to pray, but talk to him, have a relationship with God. He will listen to you, he will help you, 
He will give you what you need. And when I came out of that church and I stood by, you know, here in Trafalgar Square, I stood here and I was still headed to the train station and a voice came into my head and it said, Lee, walk through Bucking, walk through the park to Buckingham Palace. And I actually answered it out loud. And when I went through the park, to cut a long story short, I met a guy in a lot of trouble. And he told me about how his life was going to end and how everything was terrible. He'd lost his wife, lost his children, lost his life, lost his house, lost his money, lost his job. And he was ready to end it all. And I persuaded him not to. And at that point, when he finally agreed to make a change and to go and get help, I looked up to the sky on a very clear, beautiful summer's day. And I said, "Okay, God, no more messages. I got it. I understand what you want me to do. And then more messages came to me to go out and to spread the word of love. And I said to God that day, looking up to the sky, I'll never walk again with darkness in my mind. I will only ever walk with light and truth in my heart. I will spread your word and give people encouragement and advice if I can, if they ask for it. I will tell people my story so that they can take something from it and hopefully look to you to give them the support and the encouragement they need to trust in you and to have faith in everything that you do and everything that you say, no matter what you instruct or what you may say, but to do it. As long as they don't harm other people, it's okay. One-tenth of the land on earth is tundra. At any time, it is raining on only 5% of the planet's surface. Lightning strikes the planet about 100 times every second. The insects outweigh us. Our chickens outnumber us four to one. One fifth of us are Muslim, one fifth of us live in China, and every seventh person is a Chinese peasant. Almost one-tenth of us live within range of an active volcano. More than 2% of us are mentally retarded. We humans drink tea over a billion cups a day. Among us, we speak 10,000 languages. We are civilized generation number 500 or so, counting from 10,000 years ago when we settled down. We are homo sapiens generation number 7,500, counting from 150,000 years ago, when our species presumably arose, and we are human generation number 125,000, counting from the earliest forms of homo. Every 110 hours, a million more humans arrive on the planet than die into the planet. 100 million of us are children who live on the streets. Over 100 million of us live in countries where we hold no citizenship. 23 million of us are refugees. 16 million of us live in Cairo. 12 million fish for a living from small boats. Seven and a half million of us are Uyghurs. One million of us crew on freezer trawlers. Nearly a thousand of us a day commit suicide. Head spinning numbers cause mind to go slack, the Hartford Current says. But our minds must not go slack. How can we think straight if our minds go slack? We agree, we want to think straight. Anyone's close world of family and friends comprises a group smaller than almost all sampling errors, a group invisible, at whose loss the world would not blink. Two million children a day die from diarrhea, and 800,000 from measles. Do we blink? 
Stalin served 7 million Ukrainians in one year. Pol Pot killed 1 million Cambodians. The flu epidemic of 1918 killed 21 or 22 million people. Shall this go on? Or do you suffer, as Teilhard de Chardin did, the sense of being an atom lost in the universe? Do you suffer from this sense? How about what journalists call compassion fatigue? Reality fatigue. At what limit for you do other individuals blur? Vanish. How old are you? Annie Dillard, an excerpt from The Wreck of Time. universally horrifying. I don't think anybody um, in the world can look at that picture and not respond to it. But for me, it was a very different response because I saw myself in that picture. Elon Curdy was three years old. I was three years old when my parents got on a boat and took me along. And as I was looking at that picture, I couldn't help think about how that could have been me. And that I could have had a totally different alternative outcome if our boat wasn't rescued. So it basically reminded me of my refugee past and brought me back to a time where my family and a lot of my friends uh, and family friends were in a situation very similar to those who are fleeing war-torn countries. So people fleeing Syria, people fleeing Iraq and Afghanistan, it made it so that I couldn't dismiss it anymore. And so I couldn't stop thinking about it. My husband Peter and I started talking about what we could do about it. And I realized a couple of things. One is that that picture, it made me think, like, why that picture? You know, we've been hearing stories about the refugee crisis for so long, and yet it didn't stick with me. You know, we've been seeing images. We've even been reading articles. Mm -hmm. And yet that picture stuck with me. And what I realized, it was because that picture humanized the situation mm -hmm. and that media up until then did not do that. And the other thing that I thought was interesting, it made me think about the whole portrayal of um, refugees. And it made me realize that up until then, all the media images portrayed refugees in a way that was pretty scary for the mass public. They showed a lot of pictures of young men walking and breaking through fences and coming through and walking on roads and taking over trains. And I thought it was a very unfortunate view of who a refugee was. And I, I started sharing my story then. I, I knew that I wanted to change people's perception of who a refugee is. That was Maria Tran from Sea of Solidarity. The child that she's talking about is Alain Kurdi. Alain washed up on the Turkish shore in September of 2015. Since then, more than 300 children have been found along the shores, both on the Greek and Turkish sides. 
There are hundreds more probably at the bottom of the sea that no one knows about. It's unbelievable that this is happening with the technology in today's day and age. It's heavy. It hurts. I don't know really what words to say to describe the feeling of disgust and hopelessness when you realize how many people have lost everything. And that's why today's story is about a cat. Cats are healers. Well, in my perspective, all animals are healers. But there's something in particular about cats that really brings us together and helps us to see the bright side in the darkest of circumstances. This cat was known by the world as Thea's up until February 14, 2016, when we realized that his real name is Kinkush and that his family, who was fleeing Iraq, they made it to Norway. And they were looking for their cat. We'd been keeping up the hope for three months. We had taken him from the Greek island of Lesbos to Berlin, Germany, to an amazing foster couple there named Simon and Emma. Simon and Emma took great care of him for more than a month. And then, on February 12th, we received the news that his family had seen the Facebook page that Michelle Nin had been posting on for more than two months and was getting in touch with us to let us know we had their cat, they wanted their cat back, and we could not be more excited. Ashley Anderson and I saw some really heavy stuff on the island. Our experiences, although different, changed both of us forever. Or I would say transformed for the better, in my opinion. We can never unsee what we've seen. We can never not hear what we heard. But what we can do is continue to move forward, continue to put one step in front of the other, step up to the plate, and get stuff done. We actually can make a difference in small ways. Team Thea's is living proof of that. And though to some, reuniting a cat with its family may be small in the grand scope of the crisis. For us, it was a glimmer of hope, and we realized the power of our intention more than we ever had before. So these are the -the behind-the-scenes perspectives from Team Thea's. Thea's means Zeus, which is the Greek god of strength, by the way. Thea's is how you say Zeus in Greek. You'll hear Doug, (laughs) who came on the call for a second, but he wasn't feeling well. Then you're also going to hear from Ashley and Michelle, and we're all going to keep working together to illuminate the threads that bind us together as a community so we can continue to grow in love and hope that the love frequency becomes stronger than the fear. You might actually be asleep. First time I saw the cat, um, I was very cognizant that everyone knew about the cat. The the cat was clearly in bad condition, um, and I just I almost just couldn't. Be- I I remember talking to Amy and just remembering me thinking to myself about how could we not do something? How could we not? It is like you know um, if you found a child you would not return it just because it, oh, it would live in Greece. Like, I just felt like, yeah, it might have an interesting life maybe in Greece. It it would certainly be, you know, at that cafe, people would probably 
one somebody would adopt it maybe eventually but the fact that we knew the story we did know that this cat belonged to someone else um who loved it very much so that was the fact that we we just had to we had to try and um like I said before, there was a reason why we did that. And I, I think for myself is I needed to see a good story. I needed to um, see success and reunification because there were so many times, every single day was so difficult. And um, Amy and I had just ended an experience, I think even just that week, um, where it was very, very difficult. We had like had seen a boat accident and we, we had – it was – it was a lot, you know, and um, maybe I'm getting my times mixed up, but I just remember feeling the power of uh, we can do this, we can do this, and I remember uh, thinking if if I had to do this by myself, I would feel less empowered, to be honest, but because Amy ha- was there, and she was the one that mention hey let's you know I really want to find this family then I felt even stronger and then when we started talking to more people um you know and I think a lady had uh gave us a a carrier and some food and and we you know then we went to the vet office and even they were on board and then the guy took him initially for some shots and we, you know, even that everyone seemed on some level and some, they were vibrating, let's help this cat. It just took just a couple actions to then make that an actual intention. And here we are today talking about the reunification of this cat with his family. And I think that says it all. It's just like you might feel not empowered to take action, but if you just find a couple like-minded people who also feel the same way, things can happen. Things can happen. Mm. So for me, that was that was what I noticed. And that is more or less the story on Lesbos in general. You know, I didn't just show up there and decide, let me do a food distribution. I never had experience with that in my life. But when a couple other people are saying, let's do something, then you feel more empowered. And as a group, you just feel like you can do it. Then that's kind of the, the power that people should tap into not that people can't do things by themselves but but uh you know just more things can probably happen when we're when we're all together the power of community is so strong like just the idea of being from Oklahoma and like all the tornadoes we go through you know Mm -hmm. like that's that's the one thing when I go and visit any place, it's like, does it have a sense of community? Does it have a sense of, like, these people are all going to rally over something they're passionate about? And, you know, there's only one other place in the world I've ever felt that, and that was in Boston. And even, like, all my travels in Europe, I never experienced that anywhere. And it's crazy because, like, when you get all these like-minded people together, and they all have strived to kind of do do good it's everything will fall in their path for them Mm -hmm. you'll meet the right people you'll engage with the right groups you know and it all works out Mm -hmm. yeah my perspective on community is so much stronger after really everything that I went through I felt like each place that I visited throughout Europe I saw kind of like a a little bit of community there. Um, 
and now they're all kind of woven together. I have like a friend just sent me a Facebook message a few minutes ago asking how I was doing after my grandfather's passing. I didn't know her at all until I went to India and now she's like someone I think would forever be part of my community. And Michelle and I, we didn't really know each other, but she was messaging me like, I want to help. I want to help seeing Facebook postings. And that became what I would consider a very strong relationship between us is, you know, it doesn't matter where you are. You can still have a sense of community. I learned a lot about community after the tornadoes too and seeing around the world, everybody rallying to help the animals after the more tornado. I was like, well, yeah, we can do it with the cat. That's, I mean, that's really yeah. the ultimate reason why I felt like we, it was possible is after the tornadoes in Oklahoma that Michelle brought up because it mm -hmm. shows you the power of community after a disaster. People rise mm -hmm. to the occasion to make sure everyone gets the help that they need. I love the idea of this community that you take with you wherever you go. Like, the fact that wherever you where anywhere you go you kind of leave a part of yourself there mm -hmm. with with whether it's like with a friend or a family member or even like at your favorite cafe or something but you have you always bring that part of community with you and you leave a part of yourself there so it's like you're not ever really alone when you're traveling you always have someone that's wondering about you in mm. all parts of the world like that's to me, is the crazy thing is like knowing that I, even though I don't really know anyone in in like China or Vietnam where my family's from, just knowing that people are thinking about my family, and that's how it probably feels for the for you know Concussion's family, even though they're separated. I don't even know if they get to talk to you know on a daily basis or whatever to their family in Iraq. Is it too dangerous for them to even communicate? Is it? That's like something I would like to ask them eventually. Yeah, I would like to know if, that too. Yeah, to see if if there's any way we could help in that aspect. I don't want to like, you know, go in and barge and like, yeah, we're gonna help you do this. When the best thing probably may be to just be quiet and not. And it's sad, you know. Well, that's something Ashley and I were actually talking about today we both have met people on the island that we're still in touch with that are telling us stuff that we want to get out there more. We want people to realize what is actually happening more that the media is not reporting on. But, you know, we also have to use discernment on, you know, what is what is helpful and what is actually, you know, creating like more... Like fear-mongering, yeah. Yeah, yeah, what, what creates more fear. So, I don't know. It's, it's a yeah, it's true. Yeah, I just want to go back to community. I, I, I really think um, Michelle said something that was really, she touched on anyways. Um, you know, many times people may feel, and I've been one of them a long time ago before I really started traveling and living abroad and stuff, but, um, you know, a lot of the, the definition of community um a lot of people think that means a physical realm of where you're at and it means you're tied to someone, you know, in a space, in a space or location. But I think that has completely blown, that is blown out of the water, and especially in this case. And, you know, I've, I've learned that through my life that 
community it means maybe you have a friend or acquaintance in various parts of the world and maybe you don't talk to them every day maybe you talk to them once a year or maybe you don't talk to them at all but the energy that you've already shared with the person it's a space that you've already shared with the person. This is also a community. This means that you might be able to contact them after 10 years and say, hey, how are you doing? I remember you. And, um, you know, you can share things about your life and um, you possibly might be able to get, um, you know, help from them or you might be able to serve them somehow. But that's essentially what I believe is is like community and if you keep that in mind I think uh, like Michelle said you're never alone you're never alone um Kunkush was never alone oh, the family no. was never alone <laughs> all these refugees that keep coming on the island they're not alone and all the volunteers and the agencies that are helping them they're also not alone although you do feel like that sometimes but I think that's when you think of it in a more construct, like a framework of like location and people needing to be around you. It's it's not. It's so much more than that. Um, mm-hmm. So I think if that if people keep that in mind, I think, um, you know, I don't know. I just think your, your mind expands and your heart expands, and you could feel like you can do so much more. Mm-hmm. And it's all able to happen because. Because the freaking internet technology is so crazy. Like, the idea of that, okay, bye. The idea that, you know, you can just easily just Facebook message someone and be like, hey, how are you? Mm-hmm. No, the fact that I was able to communicate with Emma at all, like, to coordinate, to, like, to have someone in, someone that was that left Berlin on his way to India and someone is in Peru, someone's in Greece, someone's in someone's in America and we have somehow coordinated this whole exchange. For a cat in Norway. For, <laughs> to go for a cat in Norway. And the the fact of like, you know, when I was the thing I learned from this journey was I couldn't see the actual What's the word? I couldn't see what we were doing, the benefits of what we were doing. All I could see was the interactions of social media. Like, I wasn't there with Emma. I never met Emma. I didn't get to actually meet Concush. I never, you know. But, and so there was times where I'm just like, what am I doing? Is it even really doing anything? You know, like, there was a time where I was like, I hope I'm doing, I'm helping. There was a slump like and then whenever Ashley came through and she was just like okay yes it like rejuvenated the whole my passion all over again it never died it was just a little like yeah I was disheartened for a little bit because wasn't Amy was gone in India and we couldn't really get in touch but the fact that we were all able to do this with keyboard yeah with a keyboard yeah. It's like everyone has a role to play. It's like yeah. a we thing, yeah. And what's ironic about that is that, you know, I was helping Michelle, but I had to get, like, I don't have Facebook. I don't have social media myself. So I had to get, like, a bogus account. I had to make a bogus account just to help Michelle. <laughs> like, when you know, because yeah. I, 
yeah, and I still felt like maybe I can help. I mean, I'm not as savvy as, as Michelle is in, in social media and all that, but, you know, I just thought it, it, my role actually wasn't to do social media. My role was actually just to, to, to also support Michelle because, mm-hmm. I don't know, I also felt sometimes a little slump well, in general, in, in like volunteering, sometimes we were just yeah. like, what am I doing here? Yeah. You know, and I've had that many times. So I can't, I was, after I came back out of, out of Greece and I, I, you know, I was just like, okay, I need to get myself together. And all I can do right now is, you know, the cat's been taken care of. Amy's now on her journey. I can help Michelle. And so that's what also community is, is like when you actually don't have a role to play, like. Um, you help the people who do have a role. Support system, yeah. 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 It's, it's crazy how when your your support system kind of disappears, you know, like even though Amy was still there, Emma was technically still there, everyone was still there supporting you, but then whenever you couldn't communicate with them anymore. Communication is so important, and all it took was just a little, like a post to like re-spark everything, to kind of get the rally up going again because when everyone kind of like went off and like this did you know continued their journey and I was just like okay well now I'm not alone but I'm the only one that's not doing anything else but this mm-hmm. and it was just awesome because it was like whenever everyone kind of just connected again yeah it was like fire it really was. I mean, like, being all like it was just like crazy because I was just, you know, I was talking to my dog. I was just like, dash this cat, you know. It's like I really want to reunite, but everyone's doing their own thing right now, and I feel so, you know, left behind and like blah 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 blah. Okay, dash, but <laughs> the the your support system, your your. It's crazy because every community that you have is there's a different support system. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everything has a season kind of a thing, you know. I thought I was going to be off the grid for a little while longer, but that wasn't in the cards for me. But it happened all in, like, the exact timing that it was supposed to happen, you know, even though there was some sadness and sorrow that, well, that's the same thing. But, you know, it just it wasn't the best of circumstances. But then all of a sudden, boom the family had stepped forward and it was like crazy because Ashley's offline. I had just come back from being offline to be online again. So it's almost like we switched places. Yeah. Yeah. for real. Literally almost that, almost like within a couple days of that. Yeah. It was kind of like a prearranged situation almost is what it felt like. Mm -hmm. It was perfect. The whole thing was perfect. Yeah. Dash is trying to get ready for bed. <laughs> for the audience members, I just want to say Dash is a very, very cute, what is that, a chihuahua? He's a, yeah, he's a chihuahua rat terrier mix. Very mm-hmm. cute. Dark brown, got a blue collar on. He's he's he doesn't want to go to sleep right now, but Michelle's putting him to bed. Tucked him in under the blankets. He, he, yeah, he burrows. He likes to sleep under the covers, and it's just like... He's trying to get under there, but not laying down. He's just like, he's just so mad at me right now. Okay, you do what you want, buddy. 
Well, I think let's kind of wrap this up with one word or phrase that we would use to describe, I guess, the perspective of the whole experience for you guys. Mm -hmm. if, you, if, you, if something comes to mind, a word or a couple words. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I want to say this, but I want to say unionize. I say that because I... I really recognize everyone's individual skill set. Um, and like a union, you know, you bring, you, you pull together to, to achieve maybe your, uh, like a higher, like a, a purpose, you know, you, um, like, for example, like Doug was the photographer. Doug also happened to be available to do some traveling to, to take the cat to, to Norway, you and I were not able to do that. I, I, um, like Emma was available. Michelle, with her skill set, like put this to a different level. Like you, Amy, like uh, you and I had like an, a very interesting merging. I'd say, like at the time that I felt uh, on the island that I wasn't doing, maybe. I don't know. I just felt like I wasn't helping enough or like it was overwhelming that I felt very overwhelmed on the island at some point. And I remember happened to meet Amy who then tells me that she has this, uh, you know, this opportunity to just, Hey, why don't you come and stay with me for a, a few days? And I go, and then this entire thing just manifests. And, um, it, it's beautiful. So, like, if you just, like, unionize with people who are open, it doesn't matter if you know their role or not. It just doesn't matter. What it matters is that their heart is open and that they're willing to do something or to get to actually be on the journey with you. And then you just see where that goes. And you don't have to know where it goes. It's yeah. just meet people who are open-minded and, and open-hearted actually is more important. And and things happen. So true. Yeah. For me is is the word relationship. Like just the relationships you I've built on this, like crazy. Just just I use that word a lot. Crazy because it's crazy good how Emma and I connected. Like I, and the relationship we built is more of me, of understanding, of just trying to put myself in her shoes and vice versa, and, you know, trying to see things from her perspective all the time, and, like, building this relationship with the family, or with rehab, you know, and meeting people I would never have met if it wasn't for this journey, the relationships you build are for a lifetime. This is a community in itself that we will probably continue for the rest of our lives. It's not gonna just dissipate after after we you know we just like kind of not have the site active anymore. It's an ongoing building kind of a an ongoing community that we're forever building. Mm -hmm. Ongoing relationships that will sprout off from these relationships. It's like the root systems of trees, at least the yes. roots in California, we're all under the surface connected now. Yeah, it's eventually with this crazy technology we have and how small the world is and the relationships 
that everyone makes. It's like you'll eventually know someone in each country that knows someone that you know in your country. Mm -hmm. Like that to me is awesome. Yeah. Well, I think that we don't want to also forget all of the, all the people who just pressed like on the, on the page. We're almost to 7,000 guys. Almost. We're 600. Last time I checked, it was 600, 991. Yeah. And those people <laughs> are all 000. part of this movement, too. They're all yeah. part of this. Imagining. <laughs> Love, the, the, yes. Yeah. Well, what is possible with the power of, of we, the power of belief? Perseverance is the word that comes to mind for me. You know, it was it was not the easiest month. Uh, Ashley, you know, we, we picked him up. We took him to the vet and everything. And you know, you came into my life at, at the right time, too, because I was starting to feel a little bit like, what am I doing on this island? Like, everybody thinks I'm crazy because I want to help a cat. I just was starting to feel a little disheartened, and you were the spark to the tender of, like, yes, let's do it. And I was like, okay, let's same, do it. Let's same, do same, that. same. And I felt so discouraged some days when I would come home after working, like, 16 hours, and everybody's still needing more and more and more, and he's stressed, and he's unhappy, and it was a messy situation, you know, we don't have to get into the details, but there was a lot of uh, shit. <laughs> so, well, you and Emma can totally just talk it out. Yeah. And talk there were days out. where I just, like, I came home and cried, and I was like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? But I knew that if, I, for some reason, if I persevered through this, there was a bigger purpose here, and that this cat's life mattered. And even if we didn't find his family, it still mattered to save his life, because he wasn't going to make it on the island. I really don't think he would have lived with the way the island cats were treating him. And I had Michelle, who was like rock star status over here on the social media, which was the one thing that I told you, Ashley, from the beginning, I don't feel like I'm in a, a, a space right now where I could take this on because of the media. I know how much media it would take to find the family. It's possible, but... Oh, yeah, neither of us could have had the energy for that. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you, I don't know if I told you, Ashley, but whenever I was in Vegas, you know, that's when everything, like, when The Guardian posts everything on Friday, I landed that Thursday night. I was in the club until, like, 4 in the morning, and I was answering emails. I was, like, scheduling interviews and then like Amy Winfall grid and I was just like all right I can do this <laughs> I have my makeup on from last night and I just wake up and you like, did I just wake up and like kind of just do this to my eyes and I'm just like okay let's do this Skype with BuzzFeed right now let's get on the phone call with BBC Arabic like it tested it pushed me to the limit that I didn't know I had. Like, it not only pushed my skill set, but it pushed me mentally mm-hmm. and obviously physically. But mentally, I was just like, can I do this? Like, I I went to school for this. I did all this training, like, did all these internships. And, you know, I'm an admin assistant at a at the oil and gas <laughs> industry because, you know, like, I'm just like, what am I doing with my life? And then this, comes in and I'm just like this confirms everything I ever want to do nonprofits help public services I wanted you know in in high school I was in I was always with student council doing things for like fundraisings and stuff like that and I was just like this is what I wanted to do and this confirms everything just (laughs) even when I was on the dance floor answering emails it never felt like work (laughs) 
it never did. Awesome. I looked forward to waking up at five o'clock in the morning to do a phone call with someone in wherever in the world. Like mm-hmm. you rocked it. Just I you did was a like, job. I was on cloud nine of happiness, even though I was like kind of sick from it all, but it was totally worth it. And I'm like so appreciative for this opportunity that was given. And I'm glad that we took it took it full force and was like, let's go. No one had like any hesitations. We we're just like, go, go, go. Just do what you gotta do. It's because it makes you feel it makes your heart feel like it's on fire. And when your heart is like that that just intense compassion that's burning, it, it, anything is possible because that's what's fueling you. It was probably an amazing feeling that I the only time I ever felt that was when my mom was sick, you know, and I wanted to do something for her. That was just like, well, if I feel this way about that, then I'm doing something right. (laughs) I'm glad your mom is okay now. Is she okay? Uh, Well, she still has, like, she had her stroke in 2000, and so she's still, you know, disabled. She's still handicapped. Uh, My one thing I'm really, really, like, I'm really supportive of education with our immigrants, with people that, like with refugees, asylum seekers, anyone that is is foreign to any community. Because if my mom and my dad knew about the symptoms of stroke, then she wouldn't be where she is today. Like she would have probably just had like a few months of rehab and then she had been able to go back to work and walk and do things herself without the help of others. But since she didn't know and no one educated them when they came, it was one of those things where, like, this could have totally been prevented. She could have just, like, went to the ER instead of doing an hour waiting at, like, a Vietnamese doctor's office, you know? Hmm. Wow, that's a really good point. I'm so sad to hear that that happened to your mom. Yeah, it's one of those things where I had to grow up really fast, and I am grateful for it. There's times where I'm just, like, I, like, resent some things, but all in all, it's taught me to be a the person I am today, and with my knowledge of, like, filling out medical forms, like, it's so hard for, like, I don't realize it, but the other day, or yes, on Sunday, I was arguing with my dad and my mom because I have to fill out insurance for my dad, and just the week before, I did insurance for my grandma of Humana, and it's just like they're demanding, you know, they're asking so much, but they're only asking because they don't know. They don't know. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, I, I know English and that's to them. It's like, OK, you should know everything. And that blew my mind in so many ways because I'm just like, OK, because, you know, when I was reading this article, like when you're an immigrant and you're a refugee and you come to the country that's new and you lived there and you grew up, everything was new to you. And then you become a mom, a parent. And all you knew growing up was back in your home country. And now there's all these new rules that you have to follow. And like, like, what does this word mean? Like, 
what does immunization mean for my child? Like, I, like my mom had to figure all that crap out when she was raising us three. When all she knew back home was like, okay, feed them rice, you know, change their diaper, do all this stuff. Mm. So she was learning the country all over again at the age of like 29, 30 with a baby that doesn't know anything. Yeah. So every time I get pissed off at her, I just like, just hold my mouth. <laughs> and I'm just like, she went through way more than you will ever go through in your whole entire life. So we shut it. <laughs> I love hearing your perspective about that. Thank you for sharing that. I just, yeah. that's one of the things I'm really, was like one of the things I wanted to do when I was I grew up. I wanted to be a doctor or someone in the medical field or social services because I did a lot of that growing up for my mom and for my family that came over, you know, just doing shots, filling out paperwork, trying to do something. Mm-hmm. But I hated science, man. <laughs> Did it. Well, you seem to be in the right space as of right now for your skills to be helping. Yeah. You know, English is such a valuable, like, also teaching English was another thing. If I if I couldn't, like, do the whole doctor thing, my my dream whenever I do any interviews is, like, what, is, what do you see yourself 10 years from now? I was like, actually going back to my mom's village or my grandma's village in China or, or going to Vietnam and teaching English. Communication is so important, like, so hard. If if you think about it, if uh, Rehab and her family didn't have any, their two eldest children didn't speak English, how much, how harder this would be for all of us and, like, how stressful it would be for the family. Granted, it's stressful already. Mm. With the Norwegian, the English, Arabic, like, three languages, that's, that's hard. And some German, a little bit. German, yeah. Oh, man. So, I think that's why I, like, really want to talk to rehab and I want to because I know it's hard for her being the oldest the one that speaks English the best having siblings under you and you know a mom that has poor English skills like well you can relate to that then it sounds like yeah in a way but at the same time I want to be there for her if she ever wants to rant like, if she just wants to, like, go off, because I didn't have that growing up. So I blew up on, you know, my my parents. I blew up on anyone that was close by. Yeah. I think that's what the part of the Internet is making possible, is for us to be able to connect with people, understand a little bit about what we're going through, so they can vent it out. You know, just like I was talking about, I was on a on the phone with a friend for an hour and a half, just, you know, trying to give some advice, but really just what I ended up finding myself doing more than anything was listening because that's all she really needed was somebody to listen mm-hmm. because every time I was trying to give advice, it was like, well, you know, these are what I would do, but I, I'm not in her shoes. I don't know what she's really going through, you know, so just listen, Amy, is what I told myself to do. And we're so fortunate in our generation that we have these tools to do that. Because I sometimes get frustrated with my parents, but then I realize they didn't have this type of 
of network available to them when they were younger. And so, yeah, the world seems like such a scary place and there's a lot of bad people out there and, you know, don't open yourself up to anything. And, you know, they get worried about who are you talking to? Who You know, this person that you're going to see all this stuff. And I'm like, well, I met him through Facebook, but to them, that's like such a foreign concept. How can you trust that person? Yeah. Well, because believe it or not, there's a lot of good people out there and the internet can bring them together. You know, it's not, it's like anything, there's some duality there, but it does bring people together for the greater good too. If I want to say anything, go to your local animal shelter and do something or just in your local community, you know, there's always, don't be scared to reach out just because it's foreign to you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's someone that feels the same way, you know. The, the girl in the back that's a, you know, foreign exchange student, she doesn't know English. She wants to talk to you, but she can't. And just talk to her first. Taking that first step. Stepping up, like Ashley and I kept talking about on the island. We have to step up and just figure this out. Somebody has to step up and do it. We're do it. So, yeah, stepping up in any situation where you feel like, you know, should, should, I, should I or are they going to, you know, is, am I going to be doing something wrong or bad? Or But I really feel like I should do it. If you feel like it's something you need to do, do it. Just do it. Just do it with heartfelt engagement. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, LaBeouf, man. He just blew up the internet with that. Just blew up the internet. <laughs> Thank you, Amy. Thank you, guys. Amy. Thanks for yeah. being part of this. And we're going to keep working together. So stay tuned, oh, yeah. guys. So, Ashley, Michelle, Amy, Doug. Doug, who fell asleep. Doug, who we only have snoring. He is with us in okay. his dreams. <laughs> probably not he's probably just like off in his own world and he's just like okay so funny he is funny so he's funny. really sick though poor guy so everyone's oh. such good vibes this way thanks for opening your heart your eyes and your ears now let's start digging deeper Next week, we'll have an episode that talks about the many layers of this crisis, as well as the moment that saving lives became very real. So stay tuned for that. And thanks so much to the following beings for making this project possible. Tim Strange, Sherry Gamel, Christy Counts, Honeybee Hyde, Kelly Barnett, and Loyal Class 9. Also thank you to Shy Hollowell for her guitar jamming contributions. Corey Coates from Podfly Productions. And stay tuned to unifiedthreads.com for the latest news about our team's efforts to help more beings around the world as we go forward, leading with love and staying anchored in what is truth. Namaste.